Welcome to a new episode of the Shaken and Stirred Show. I'm Nigel Barker, feeling like Muhammad Ali in New York City. I'm about to go head to head with a boxing legend. Well, she's becoming one very, very quickly. Um, she's actually far too cute to be a boxing anything, quite frankly. I quite, but we're going to get there. This week, guys, we are going down under with Australian actress best known for her roles in the Australian television series Neighbours that I grew up with. And she's probably sick of talking about, um, actually, because, you know, I imagine it's one of those shows, a bit like America's Next Top Model that I grew up with that, uh, you know, I, I just I don't want to hear about it anymore. But we're <laughs> going to go there. Um, you know, her in Trauma Center from last year, she's also had roles in Scrubs, Halloween 2, Hall Pass, The Wedding, Ringer and Workaholics. Her next project will be the new action movie Hounds of War. Please welcome Nikki Whalen. Nikki, how are you? Nigel, you have me drinking very early in the day. <laughs> this is what I love. Welcome to the Shaken and Stirred show. What are you drinking? Okay. I love that. Usually I don't start for at least another three hours. I have a margarita here, which is my new drink over the last couple of years. I've just started getting into them. I, well, first of all, it's my new drink that I've only been drinking for the past couple of years. Did you hear that, people? Uh, so when was the last time you told someone that it was a new drink from the last couple of years? Let that is in itself. Let me explain myself. So here's the thing. For a long time, I'm an Aussie, so we're all expected to be huge drinkers all the time. But for a big chunk of my life, for no other reason other than I was just so busy and so sort of focused on work, I didn't drink for about 10 years. So when the pandemic kicked in, a very dear friend of mine um, got me started on margaritas. And I was like, where have I been like this whole time? And so when I say this is new is because in the last couple of weeks, I've flipped it to spicy margarita. And you might be able to help me because the restaurant I eat at and drink at, yeah, they give me this little jar of an, is this called drink? The thing that makes it spicy, what's it called? Drink, well, drink. There are various different things you can put in a spicy margarita to make it spicy. N normally, it's, a, it's actually just a, a pepper. It's actually just the, the actual, you oh, know, like chili, a like a no, they have this little thing and they give me a tiny glass of it and I'm just been testing on how spicy I can go because I always went really sweet and now I've gone really spicy and I'm um, really stepping up in the world. <laughs> what they do is they actually make the simple syrup and they, when you're making the simple syrup, you put the peppers in, the habanero peppers directly in to the uh, simple syrup as you're boiling it down and then, and then and you let it sit in there. And so what happens is it actually infuses. So when you add the simple syrup to the margarita, which essentially is triple sec or a Cointreau or a Grand Manier uh, with your uh, tequila and your fresh lime juice, and then you put that simple syrup in, that's what gives it that kick, right? So there you go. And so that is a, a spicy margarita. And, and there are, again, I said, there are different ways to do it. Some people put like, spicy salt on the outside. Some people actually float sort of the chilies in the drink itself, you know, but it's more decora decorative than anything. If you want that flavor and that hit, it comes from that infusion in, in the actual uh, simple syrup. But um, you can make it yourself. I love this. Well, I, they do it so beautifully here and they have it down pat. And look, I've got all my little systems around me and it's like a whole production here they set up for me. But now I know the information. It sounds a little tricky, but I'll give it a crack. But I just, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. And by the way, the concept that you stopped drinking when you came from Australia to America is a disastrous concept. I mean, you, know, you, you realize that you clearly went to the wrong side of the US. You shouldn't come to New York. And I know it wouldn't be as pretty. You wouldn't have palm trees behind you and all the rest of it. And but guys, for those of you who aren't watching this on YouTube and you are actually listening to this as a podcast, and by the way, you can watch this on YouTube. Um, 
is the, I'm looking at Nikki right now, and whilst I am sitting in my office in New York, looking at snow outside the window and trying to be sunny, wearing a T-shirt that says Muhammad <laughs> Ali on it, Nikki is doing the opposite. Classic LA, she's wearing a sweater which goes all the way up to her neck, you know, and so she's wrapped up as if she's chilly. Yet, meanwhile, the sun is shining, it's beautiful and warm, all the plants are green. So, you now you have a real visual of what's going on here the dichotomy of a New Yorker trying to look like he's cool and an LA person trying to look like they're cold, which are all cool, either way. Well, listen, you know, as LA folk, I've become, I've been here nearly 16 years and I've become so fragile that even a hint of cool wind and the sweaters and the turtlenecks come on. Like I have become such a baby. I used to, because I grew up in Australia. So like you have the four seasons, solid four seasons. You get freezing cold like New York in Australia. So here, but being here so long, I'm so used to the sun, literally a hint of cold. And I'm like, mm. I, no, I, I know, I know. I've, I've, I've done my moments in LA. I go over there and I see people in the sort of the hottest days wearing UGG boots with a fur in t lining. And I'm like, excuse me, so you're wearing a mini skirt, bare legs, and then you've got your sweaty feet in an UGG. I'm like, really? Is that what we're going to do? Is that style? But I'm like, hey, I'm in LA. I'm going to leave it alone. I'm not going to do the whole fashion police moment. I'm not going to go there. But, but listen, I'm digressing here because I also have a cocktail. Normally, I try to find out what my you know my guest is drinking so i can sort of match it and pair but what i did this time because you didn't tell me what you were, i didn't find out at least what you were drinking until the last minute but i decided to do my little bit of research and it was worthwhile i discovered and for all of you out there i have been drinking this cocktail for i don't know better part of 20 years and i had no idea of its origins this what does this look like to you nikki if you were to describe this martini with a, lem a, a lemon slice on top so a martini with a twist right is what we call that with the lemon and it is in fact known as a kangaroo oh yeah this is the original name was the what? kangaroo apparently in 1948 the very first vodka martini was created in sydney australia and nicknamed the kangaroo prior to that they were gin martinis and gin mix martinis so it was gin and vodka but people hadn't really coined the classic dry martini which is vermouth vodka and a twist of lemon um and it was in 1948 that they named it the kangaroo and there's Quotations on it. So I had no idea. So I, although it is just a dry martini today, I'm calling it a kangaroo in honor of its origins and of course of you. Cheers. I was to say how appropriate. Cheers, Nigel. I've got to say, I am um, my mum's English. You're obviously from England, yeah? Um, actually, I'm, I'm from Eight Mile in, in Detroit, but I thought for my television career, it'd be way better to have an English accent. And it turned out it was a perfect cocktail because there isn't a judging panel in America that doesn't have a dash of English in it. I'm just saying your accent. No, I'm from Chelsea, London. Sorry, love. I'm being facetious. It just is very, it's home for me because half my family are from England or Manchester. So your accent is very, um, I just miss it. I just miss all the accents. I'm surrounded by a lot of, you know, American accents. So. Nikki, I am right here for you. No need to miss anything at all. I'm literally just, you know, here on this Zoom. Okay. And meanwhile, people, as we have this little love fest about our accents on the phone, I, you know, I am also, half of my family is from Australia and um, they live in Sydney. 
So they, they moved over in the 60s. And yes, from my father's side. And so I have a whole bunch of cousins who are over there. And so whenever I've been over, which we, you know, we shot a whole season of America's Next Top Model over in Sydney. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I actually wrote one of my books, actually a book I have right here with my face on the cover, The Nigel Barker Beauty Equation. This was written in Sydney. So all of you who know my book about beauty, I was inspired by the beauty of Sydney and the people of Sydney, like yourself. Oh, I this i did not know this i love it you got some aussie in you see we're family well i do have some aussie in me although i do believe it's the other way around aussies have english in them i'm not sure that it's the other that english people consider themselves to have aussie in them but that's okay you know i'm sort of a mixed blood anyway i'm not a classic englishman and i'll take it you know look <laughs> i i want to go on you've got an extraordinary career already you've done a lot of different things but you started with a show that's a classic, the Australia television series Neighbours. And I, I wanna to touch on it only because for me personally, a lot of Americans may not know of this show. It's not a big show perhaps in the States, but in England, Neighbours is a huge show. Mm -hmm. And it was, I mean, if you know Dallas, if you know Dynasty in the US, it was like that in England. People didn't miss an episode. A lot of the cast of, of Neighbours, if they're gonna go anywhere, don't necessarily head to the US, they head to the UK because it's such a big show there that they're guaranteed to become quite a well-known star, you know, like Kylie Minogue, for example, um, who was, a, you know, really a regular on Neighbours for years, right, pre your time. Well, speaking of Kylie Minogue, it's funny you bring that up because um, Benji Hart joined at the same time as me and he was, he's an English actor. He was on a show over there. Um, oh, I can't remember what it's called, but basically Benji and I were brought onto Neighbours I'm going back maybe 15 years now to to sort of bring back the Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan kind of vibe. So it's funny you say that our two characters were brought on to kind of start that whole thing up again and be, you know, the couple on Neighbours. And it is, I'm so glad you bring it up and I'm happy to talk about it because I grew up with Neighbours. So, you know, I'm watching at nine years old, Paul Robinson, remember Paul Robinson, who's one Ooh. of the characters. I was a little nine-year-old girl watching. I'm so obsessed with this show. Cut to, you know, 20 years later, I'm his girlfriend on the show. It's so crazy. So to me, the, it was the – and I'd had no acting experience. And Jan Russ, the casting director, who's been their casting director forever, she's a dream boat, um, put me in this with absolutely no experience. And it was – it was the most surreal experience for that year that I was there. I was actually supposed to do three years, but I, I cut my um, contract early to come to the US. But I still love Neighbours. I love talking about it. It's I, I get it. Like, And it, it's huge in England. Like, As soon as I finished, I actually went to England for a couple of months to visit some friends. I was walking down the street and people were like, Peppa! And I'm like, yeah. I'm like it's, a, it's a thing. Like people, I was really, I don't know, because I got to the US and no one knew anything about it. Everyone's like, huh? But I got so much love in the UK. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, clearly, that's what I'm saying. You shouldn't have gone to LA. You probably should have gone to the UK and then come over here. But you, know, it's, but you would have got stuck over there. They would have, wouldn't have let you go. We love a good neighbour's star. And, you know, you can pretty much do anything. If you come from neighbours, you have carte blanche in the UK to become a singer, to become an actress, to brand ambassador, create your own lines, do whatever you want, actually. We, we, we will buy anything that you say or, or you know, want to talk about. Um, and we're, we're sort of obsessed with Aussies in the UK as well. So it's, as I think everyone is everywhere. But I, I want to you know, talk a little bit first, before we leave the Neighbours concept, you mentioned how you got this gig really sort of without really doing too much and you were sort of accepted right into this, this role. Now, were you always wanting, did you always want to be an actor? Is this something that was, you know, had you trained in any shape or form? 
randomly, and we can all laugh together at this one, when I was 17, I started hosting um, horse racing, which is huge, one of the biggest sports in Australia. I was a TV host. I got thrown into that with no experience. My dad used to gamble a lot, so he would tell me how to read the paper and how to gamble and how to bet. And um, I was doing a little bit of modelling at the time and they threw me into this role of um, hosting sports. And then I was doing football and and all these hosting shows. And I was like, I don't want to do, I want to be an actress. That's all I want to do. I was a dancer and I just wanted to act. And I constantly kept being given these roles to host TV shows similar to what you've done with zero experience. And um, then I ended up commentating the K-1 kickboxing for about seven years. I mean, I'm winging it. By the way, all of this winging it. I've got no idea what I'm doing. They're just hiring me and I I'm tra- I did a travel show for two years and swam with sharks and bungee jumping I mean like and the whole time I'm just saying to my team I just want to be an actress and like no Nick and filled me up for years with presenting and then there was this audition that came up for Neighbours and I was like so I, I got the opportunity to audition for it but I'd never done an acting class in my life I was just so wanting to be an actress and I went in and gave it my all I Again, no idea what I'm doing. And I'm walking onto set on my first day with Ben Lawson, who just finished NIDA, one of the greatest acting schools in the country. And then there's me, TV host, just coming along. I mean, it was, I, I just, I think I will. So what did you do? Did you go for that casting and just read the newspaper, the horse results, really, really well? And they were like, oh my God, she's brilliant. I've never heard anyone read the newspaper like that before. Learned my lines and I'd been obsessed with acting and I learned my lines and I just, I don't know. I don't know what happened. And then boom, I'm all of a sudden onto this incredible show that's been going at that time for like 30 years I'm surrounded by a bunch of people who very warm and welcoming and then you just jump on the engine you just go and um it was probably the greatest way to start my career because you know you're shooting five six days a week 10 scenes a day I mean the dialogue's huge the big fuss of my character I mean I got thrown in but back then I don't know I just was so much more ballsier probably than I am now and I was like yep I got this, you know, and you just, it's that youth, it's that excitement, it just, and it all came together. So I just think I've put it so hard into the universe, it somehow found its way back to me. <laughs> well, and I, I believe in that 100%. I mean, I think if you can imagine it, you can half the time make it come come true. You know, if, you, if you've got a dream you know, in order to have a dream, right? But I, I think it's funny, though, because you, know, you sort of alluded to your co-star who had come from this top acting school. Is there, you know, a stigma attached to sort of being an actor who perhaps hasn't been to a great acting school or hasn't, you know, like, and I know, you know, every country has the same sort of similar things, you know, similar acting schools that are great to go to and, you know, whether it's St. Martin's or whatever it might be, you know, somewhere, and it's the same in the fashion industry, where did you go, you know, I went to Parsons or I went to FIT and and if you didn't, then, oh, what, you just decided to design? yeah why shouldn't you decide to design and, and why shouldn't you design to act, desire to act but i guess there is that idea of did you know how to i mean were you a method actor how did you get into role character this, well the character was this bubbly and in my 20s i was i was very much like my character super bubbly i basically just read it as as me like i just kind of came in as me and read it as me and bounced around and did whatever the the audition was, I think that, and I think there was a little bit of tension when I first got there. People were like, she's a TV host. She's, a, you know, there was that kind of like, mm. maybe just because she's, you know, she's done modeling. She, there's always going to be that, no matter where you go and what you do and where did you study and what did you do. 
listen, I got in and yes, it was, and to people that have been studying acting for years, but I'd also been bloody hosting for fucking, you know, for seven years. I'd been in front of a camera mic since I was 17. Um, of course, it's a very, very different thing to acting, but I, had, I, I don't know, I kind of overlook a lot of that. I sort of, I felt that there was a bit of that when I was there, there was a bit of it over here when I got here as well. But um, I just don't, I don't know, I just like, fuck, I'm in it to win it. You know, I'm giving it a crack like everybody else. So, <laughs> No, I, I, 100%. There's, there's yeah. a sense, I mean, this whole concept of sort of imposter syndrome. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, you, know, and I, you hear it over and over again, and I myself have, have suffered from it, where, you know, I had been, you mentioned, when you are a model, it's people are, they, they love you because you were a model, but they hate you because you were a model. Right? So there's an aspect of, oh, you know, this person, you know, has 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 it all. How how can they also be perhaps talented in this as this other thing? You know, and so that upsets them that, that you might be able to step into a role and that you've clearly gotten it because of your looks or something like that. And which, you know, you, and therefore you have to fight that a little bit harder to prove yourself or do something and to, to sort of change it all up. You know, and you know, I, I remember trying to become a photographer initially and I actually left Similarly, I left the UK, I left France and, and Milan, which is where I had worked as a model uh, in the late 80s, mid 90s, and came to the US. I saw your photos. Oh, a little bit of stalking. I like that. You know, I, I dug deep into the Instagram. I'm sorry, but go on. I did see them. Bloody gorgeous. But I, I, I wondered why it was, you know, there's a little bit of a wait when I asked you to come onto this podcast. You were clearly like saying, wait a second, let me just check. And, you know, who is this Nigel Barker sliding into my DMs? Um, but <laughs> I, I'm glad it all worked out in the end. Uh, but I, <laughs> you might have seen some of my pictures actually that I shot in Australia. There's, you know, a couple of great some, Australian photographers. Saw some bloody beautiful shots though. I dug deep. I went down the, I went down the Instagram. I was like, Nigel, banging shots. There were some good ones. I, as I said, guys, I'm sorry. You're gonna have to excuse the two of us right now. We're having a moment, okay? So just have a sip of your drink. Go and make another one or something like that, and come back in a moment. Um, no, Nikki, I, I like that. I, I appreciate that. You know, but it's a long time ago. I mean, this is back when you know I was again late '80s until mid '90s. Um, a different era, a different moment. But my point being that I understand where you're coming from. And, and it, there is this, this sort of, especially, and I know in the acting business, because a lot of models do try and move over and become actors. And it, it can be tough for them. And they can be, you know, sort of laughed at. And, and, and this can go on for even after they've proved themselves, you know. Um, you know, constant, constant battle. And you see it all the time here. And last year I turned 40 and... I personally am in a really different part of my life. I'm in a very different stage of my life. And I still get roles sent to me to sort of play that girl. I did a movie called Hall Pass years ago, a comedy with the Farrelly brothers with Owen Wilson in a great movie. But I play that girl, you know, the girl next door, the, 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 the one that comes in and has the little fling with Owen. And, you know, so, so much of my career, I remember testing for... Um, God, I tested for Mystique um, against Jennifer Lawrence in um, uh, X-Men and I was yeah, Transformers. I was always up. And it was funny because Transformer movies, they were putting Rosie Huntington and that in it. So all of a sudden, I, at that stage, I was established as an actress, but I was being thrown in against beautiful, stunning models up against roles. So I got thrown around back and forth up against models. They're not. And funnily enough, um, I did the Nespresso campaign um, a couple of years ago with George Clooney. You know how he does the Nespresso deal 
Australia. And it, the audition for that was hysterical. My agent rang me and said, there's an audition for a commercial now. It's not something you usually go out for, but do you want to give it a crack? And I was like, hey. I get there, Nigel. And the corridor is the most beautiful six-foot stunning supermodels in LA. And I was like... And I rang her and I said, I don't think this is right. I don't think I'm supposed to be here. Like, this is not really, this is like a, this is the most beautiful women. And she goes, no, just give it a crack and go in there. And I was like, I just got to, I mean, I dress like an actor. I hadn't dressed all modelly. So I went in and the director was taking the audition, a lovely man. And um, I sort of came in, I was laughing and I'm like, all right. Well, let's, and he goes, hang on, he goes, you're Australian. And I was like, yeah. And I'm also five foot four. <laughs> he said, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this. And when I read it with him, it was very conversational. And he kind of looked at me, he goes, yeah, he goes, I like this. It's very, um, there's something very real about it. I walk out, don't even think about it. All as I see is just a line of these stunning women. I'm gone. A month later, they rang and uh, I got the job and flew off to um, Italy and did the gig. And again, I was surrounded by a bunch of supermodels on set, but I was the main girl with Jack Black and, and George Clooney. It was a great experience, but I remember speaking to the director, I'm like, why and he goes because you just were very natural about the process and, and so in that regard it helped having do you know what I mean I was sort of looked at 100% I actually thought you were going to say it was what George Clooney was casting for a wife or something like that and this is what you know all under the the, the pretense that you know he was going to be a coffee commercial but hey you know I like that I mean look why not and, and quite frankly you can't tell how tall someone is on television you can't but it was just that moment where they had really gone with the performance as opposed to the looks in something and so my whole career and you know this it's, it's sort of you're trying to fight against it or try to fight against that sort of image and that look and, that, and like I said I'm 40 now and I'm it, it's hard to place me in in roles now it's a it's a very interesting time in my life and a really interesting transition I'm glad COVID happened so I've had a couple of years trying to find myself and because I do I want to go into a different phase of my career and I'm still getting auditions for Playboy bunnies and bits and the hot chicken stuff and I'm like give it a fucking rest guys like I'm flattered but there's fucking 10 million of them here under 35 you know so it's this whole it's you got to break out you got to constantly reinvent yourself which I know you know about like different chapters of your life and it's I do believe there is a, a little bit more of a challenge to it you know what I'm saying now, you said a, a whole bunch of things there that threw me for a loop. I've never heard anyone say they were happy for COVID and put Playboy in the same sentence. It, that, that in <laughs> itself was is, is something of a miracle. Uh, and I and I was like trying to fathom the whole thing. But then I was like, you know, I understand. I too have had guilty pleasures around the fact that I've had some time off during COVID. Uh, I don't like to admit it, but it's true. It's quite nice <laughs> to have a quiet downtime. But there was nobody asking me to be a Playboy bunny or having anything to do with any of that in, at the very same time, which is in itself extraordinary. But this is a, a serious topic, though, the concept of and I, I'm totally down with this because, you know, my wife is 47. And she actually is just about to do her, her first. Well, not her first. It's a new show. She's done two shows in the past where she's hosted and she has a brand new show. But it's been a hiatus of about 15 years for her working on television on any shape or form. And she got a brand new show. But it, it is difficult uh, and perhaps it's unusual time for women on television when they in their 40s and 50s right it's what what role do you fill and you know someone like yourself you know you say you're 40 but you could read as if you're 30 for sure as if and as if not younger than that so is that something you have to address is it something that you have to sort of think about and how does your agent handle that 
Well, it's funny because uh, there was something I spoke to my agent the other day, exactly what you said. And he said, uh, there is something out there at the moment, but it's actually they're asking for 30 year olds. And he said, so I can't send you in because you're not 30, but you do play 30 a lot. So we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. So it's it's. It's just I don't a lot of the t- a lot of the stuff I do is direct offers from people I've worked for before. That's how a lot of this sort of works. I, I do find it hard to be placed in auditions at the moment. And someone's like, "There's this great role for a forty-year-old woman. She's had four kids, and da, da, da. And I'm like, "Great!" And they're like, "No." And I'm like, oh. "And I'm like, but I, you know." So it's it, and there's also that thing of like, you want to take care of yourself. You don't want to beat yourself up just so you. But, do you know what I'm saying? You don't want to beat yourself up so that in your because in my day to day life, I you know I train, I look after myself, I want to be healthy and and look fresh and look and stay young. We all want to stay young, but this kind of goes against you in the business, and it's kind of so I really try and find roles that throw me out of this sort of image that was created for me in the in my younger years, and it's just um yeah, it's just a matter of sort of finding the right place, and it's gonna it's gonna be a, it's gonna take time and it's gonna be a challenge, but this is this is what I do. This is what I've always done and it's just it's just a challenge it's just a new thing I've got to throw myself into and I've got to lean into my age and kind of this weird transition and kind of just see what comes of it you know I I've got good staying power I'm pretty resilient I've been fucking living in LA for 16 years <laughs> I, I, like I said again it's high time you move to New York is all I can say um, it, it, funny you say serious over here we don't care about your age we're not all sort of superficial and all the rest of it uh, over here in New York we, we're all about you know, just age is nothing but a number. And we are, you know, I like to say, I'm like, first of all, you look sensational. You look amazing. I also follow you on Instagram. We have mutual friends. Um, I actually called up one of our mutual friends last night to spy on you a little bit, but he wouldn't give me very much ammunition. Uh, a guy called Oliver Trevina, who um, oh, is an absolute doll um, and what have you. And Oliver's been a guest on this show and has been a friend of mine for years. But you know he's Holy someone too, Holy. Oliver, right? Yeah, no, he's a great guy, and and he and he's sort of you know he's someone who another actor and who, who's talked as well about what it's like to sort of grow up in Hollywood and you know uh, and your age start to play become an issue or become a factor or become a sort of a, something that you have to deal with. It's not just can I act? Am I right for this role? Can I can I do this role? Can I act this role? Right? Because we all know that half the time when you see a teenager on television, they're actually being played by a sort of 20 something, um, and, you know, and likewise. And yet, for some odd reason, when you are sort of female and you hit 40, 50, yet if you look 20, 30, you're not allowed to act it. You sort of somehow that's the, there's a change there. Do you think that's connected to the male um, parts of the in, 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 in the cast, in the, you know, or is it just societal? I don't know. You know, I think, listen, it's a, you know, and I know that we've all said this, it's a great time for women. And some of these roles, I just watched this fantastic series on Amazon with um, Rose, what's her name? English actor, you know, her, Rose, Rose. Um, she, she was in, uh, fantastic. Oh my God, I've lost her name. But, you know, what's she, she in? What's that? What, what show is she in? The show, now I can't, The Wheel of Life, it's called. Okay. It is, and anyway, all the women in this are these fantastic kick-ass kind of, there's this, the time in this world where the women sort of 
have got these incredible powers and they've really zoned in on their on this another level of power that I do believe women have. And all of these women in this TV show, majority of them are all over 40 and into their 50s as the lead women. And they're these powerhouses on horses and kicking ass and they're all in their 40s and 50s. And I just think it's such a great time. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to embrace sort of more of that and just doesn't matter what age you are. Like I'm the same as you. I don't give a fuck that I'm 40, but it's the, it's, it's the other people that sort of trip on it. But there are this great team of people out here that are creating content and saying, yeah, I want to look at J-Lo, however old she is, over 50. I mean, she's doing backflips and splits and bloody woo. I mean, it's 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 just a creating a space to let everybody know that it doesn't fucking matter how old you are. You can just make it happen for yourself and especially for women in a world where, yeah, society has always sort of been like, oh, she's a little older now. Bullshit. Like, bullshit. Are you familiar with the supermodel Paulina Poroskova? So Paulina Poroskova, who has recently creating waves in the fashion industry and in various different, you know, magazines recently where she's posed naked multiple times um, and has sort of been in her, been photographed in her bikini and all the rest of it. And she's clearly in her mid fifties. Now she was my guest or another judge rather, I was gonna say guest judge, but she was actually a permanent figure, permanent judge on America's Next Top Model for many years. One of the most beautiful women in the world, probably ever. Um, and, you know, she's someone who, you know, I'm not gonna go quietly. I'm gonna, you know, be proud, loud and proud and be who I am and celebrate my body. And if I wanna do a nude when I'm sort of mid fifties, I will, right? And, and that's what it is. And, and it's, she has, and it's worked. And first of all, she's in the most extraordinary shape as are you, but it's, it's sort of, it, it doesn't even matter. It was like, rather I'm me, I'm gonna be happy to be me. And actually that confidence is incredibly sexy. So, you know, you can be, you can have a kick-ass body, but if you're not confident, it can, you know, you don't, you don't get it. You don't feel it in that person's personality and their charisma. But if someone is confident, is gung ho, is compassionate to themselves, and you know, not conceited, but is loves themselves enough to say, you know what, I'm worth it, then that is very sexy, and that parlays on film. And and you know, people are like, wow, I want to be like her. You know, it was Rosamund Pike, the um, the the actress I'm thinking about, um, just because it just came to me as we were you were talking, and yeah. It is. I think it's, and, and who knows, what is the right body and what is the right image? And everybody likes, you know, different kind of sort of, I don't know, when we say everybody looks fit, or, I just think it's such a time where we're opening up to not things not having to be so specific about how you should look and how you should be and, and also being honest about, you know, where people are at in their lives and their body images. You know, it's funny, and, and I bring this up because I think it's important, um, and people comment a lot about it on my Instagram. People are like, you're so fit, you're so this, you're so that. And what they're not understanding is some of the craziest times in my life when I have been completely um, miserable, stressed out, underweight and undernourished is the times when people are going, you look fantastic, and I'm like, it, it's it's you know what I'm saying like it's so funny how we all when you look at these movie stars that are all buff and and sexy and please don't I I it's still important to sell it to everybody that this is not really why these have people have access to all sorts of things um we're on in the movies like a lot of it's not real a lot of the time when you see us looking at our best trust me behind closed doors it's not great it's like I said some of my most painful um times in my life where i've been really underweight and really stressed out um people have been like you look fantastic i'm like it's not because i'm in the gym it's because you know I'm, you know what i'm saying so that i think there's this 
sort of misconception about really what goes on behind the scenes when people and so going back to originally what we were talking about is it's the energy that you're carrying inside of you it's that thing that you give out it's like when you meet someone that may not have the perfect body whatever that is but they've got that yumminess in their eyes and they've got that sparkle and you just walk in and go what the fuck is it about that person and they don't have to be an actor you can be in a restaurant and a, a man or a woman can walk in and you're just like what is it about that person that that's I think that's the yumminess of people and that's what we need to sell more and find that in people. Do you know what I mean? Without being too preachy, but... No, no, no I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, you know, a, a friend of mine who's, you, you will know because he's another Aussie, but the actor Hugh Jackman, someone who, we all know him for many roles that he's played, but we, we all know him as Wolverine as well, as one of his main roles that really put him into, into the, really into the spotlight worldwide. And you know, I trained with him at the time, surprisingly enough, uh, when oh. he was when he was training to become Wolverine. And that's how we created the gym, the dog pound. Right. So the gym, the dog pound was created by myself, Hugh Jackman and a few other guys about seven years ago. And whilst Hugh was training to be Wolverine. And I remember very well back then when, you know, in order to get to that shredded look that he became, it was because he stopped drinking water. Um, for several days in advance and basically dehydrated his body to a point of um, being almost so faint that he was going to collapse and that he had to shoot those roles all together in one stage all the roles where he took his shirt off they're all ganged together it doesn't matter if it appears in different stages in the movie they shoot them all together in one day in one moment so that and then as soon as it was done he said as soon as he finished his last moment where he was you know ripped he had a bottle of water on the side and he just picked it up and just poured it and drank and drank and drank because in order to create that look of complete sheddedness you, you see it was because his body was dehydrated and forget that there's no fat there was no water it's exactly what I'm saying. Do not be fooled on seeing someone shredded. I mean, there's a whole world of steroids. There's a whole world of that out there too that people are doing. Like people don't just go to the gym and look look like Wolverine, okay? Of course there's an exercise, there's a diet. I, there's, I know you did, Nigel, but you're like an extra special kind of human. So I was actually, I used to joke that I was his understudy and that if he ever, anything ever happened, that I could be Wolverina. Wolverine, God bless. But see, but I just, it's important to always be honest about our process and what we're going through and training and looking after yourself and whatever you do to, to keep healthy and however you get there. But let's not be fooled. Like, let's not be fooled. Let's sort of try and promote more of, you know, the stuff that comes out of us, like the inside, the energy that we're carrying. Let's sort of work on that more. You know what I mean? I do, and I, but I want to get into the fact that you are a bit of a fitness freak, and I say freak, but you know, you are someone who's constantly working out, boxing, <laughs> fighting. I actually wore this T-shirt in honor of you today. Has Muhammad Ali on it, and on the back, and I'm not sure if you can see it, but it says "float like a butterfly, sting like a bee," which is you know, Muhammad <laughs> Ali's favorite expression. But you go to Fortune Gym in LA, uh, which is a great, fantastic gym, a legendary gym. What is it about boxing that you love so much? Well, is that that's a contenders t-shirt, I think. I think it I've is. got some Yeah, I love it. Love this stuff. Um so my dad um he actually passed last year, but uh he was uh he was a boxer and uh, he was just, I grew up around the fights, I grew up in the fights. I ended up hosting Let's All Laugh Together the K1 for years. It was part of my life growing up. You know, 
being at the pub on a Friday night and all the men beating the shit out of each other and then all coming back in and having a drink. I was raised in such a that old school Aussie fights, the boxing, it was always on, there was always fights, I was always going to the fights, I was always, it was always just part of my upbringing and I always loved the, and I was also a dancer. So between the physique of a boxer and the dancing for women, I love, I love those body types. They're my favorite body types. So I stopped dancing when I was around 21 years old and um, started sort of doing training boxing as a training thing. And I just love more than anything. I love the fitness, like the, the sort of training aspect of it. It's not, you'll never see me just waltzing into a gym and just doing squats. I, you'll ne- it'll never happen. I'm terrible with gym memberships. I don't know how to train myself. Um, so I need sort of an activity, you know, and boxing just is, I don't know what is it about it. And it exhausts me to a place where it, it when you leave, there's this sort of, you've let everything out. Um, I don't know. It's very emotional sort of thing, but I know I seem like a fitness freak, Nigel, but I got to tell you, I'm not as fitnessy as I, like I, I am all about moving and shaking and I'm giving tennis a crack at the moment, which is just hysterical. I've got no idea what I'm doing, but I'm always about trying stuff, but I'm not a huge, like if you see my daily diet and stuff, I mean, it's two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm having a margarita. Like, let's be honest about what's going on. I do love an Aussie because it, you, know, you are, I mean, if nothing else, full on. And I think that's the, the great thing is that you commit and you've committed to the role of being on the Shaken and Stirred show with your spicy mar- margarita at three o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon or whatever it is over there, two o'clock in the afternoon. But, you know, boxing itself, it, it, training is one thing, but getting in the ring is another. Have you actually done, do you do actual contact boxing? No, absolutely not. No, 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 no. I only ever punch on the bags. But it's funny you say about getting in the ring because the first time I went to Fortune, um, the girl trains me there, Tam, she's um, Justin Fortune's wife. She's a badass and I love fighting with her. There's something about hitting her pads. It's very different to when you're doing it with a man. I, I don't know. I just, she's fantastic to work with. She goes, all right, let's jump in the ring. Let's go. And I was like, what? And she's like, no, let's jump in the ring. And I was like, I, I'm too embarrassed. I, there's all these people in the gym and now all of a sudden we're in this ring and the ring is like, it's like a performance place. Now it's just, that's what I love about Fortune. There's no bullshit there. It's just a legit, everyone's just working their asses off. The first few times I stood in that ring, just because I didn't know the right form and this and that, and she goes, you got to fucking let it go. And you get, like it's a whole situation when you step inside a ring. And I've sat ringside by hundreds of fights and you see you know and I used to interview a lot of fighters after the in the K1 and stuff and talk to them I remember going like do you ever have moments when you're in the middle of that ring and you're like fuck there's like 20,000 people standing around me it's not just the fight and the meditation of staying in the moment and and everything that goes with that it's also taking on the energy of thousands of people there is something very um I don't know it's such a bold Primal. Yes, it's like this, yeah, primal, like, fuck, you have some balls to get in that ring. Like, there is something but about isn't it. That also, it, there, where, you know, and again, talking about someone like Hugh Jackman, he, one of the things he loves to do is go on stage. It's not just acting for a camera, but he loves to go on stage and act in front of an audience, right? And, and yeah. do his one man acts and do the man from Oz and do whatever he's doing. And, and but it's, is there not something within your bones too, perhaps? And I, you know, if you're, if you're a singer or a musician or a rock star, you're getting up in front of an audience that can, could be 10,000 people, could be more, you know, and that there is something incredibly exhilarating. I mean, I've never done anything like that. I've done, the biggest thing I personally have done is I like go to like a, 
CES conference in Vegas and talk to like 10,000 wedding photographers. Trust me, it's not quite the same, but um, it, it, it has its moments. But even that was exhilarating. I, I was like, wow, man, look at all these people here who are, you know, because there is the power and the energy of say, a lot of people focused on you. And, it, and, and that is that you almost sort of take their life energy away. It's almost like you're sucking up all that energy, both negative and positive. If they love you, if they hate you. And, and it, it's, it's incredibly powerful, right? Well, it's, it's an unnatural state for a human to absorb. It's like rock stars and stuff like that. They're in this space of an unnatural amount of power and energy coming out of them, coming toward them. And how we manage that is really everything. That's the magic of how you hold the space of that huge amount of sort of frequency hitting you and, and how you sort of can hold the space of that. I don't know. I sort of... It's funny, you put me in an audition room before COVID, you'd have to go into auditions here out in LA. I will fall apart in an audition room with three people. I will absolutely just no idea what I'm doing. But when I used to host, put me on a stage at the MCG in front of 120,000 people live on TV and I'm like, hey, everyone, what's going on? It's the weirdest thing we all have out. I find the intimacy of a room of three or four people so much more frightening than a crowd of 120,000 people. Can't explain it to you. I don't know what it is, but I just, I, I, I'm shittier in smaller spaces and it's just, it's different for everybody, but yeah. That's what I'm saying. I don't think that's unusual though. I, I, you know, you hear, especially in the acting world of a lot of actors being introverts and they, and that they are actually quite quiet and they you know, like their own company and sort of somewhat solitary and, you know, not necessarily big party people. Um, and yet, they choose to perform for a living, which is essentially getting up in front of people or, or at least, you know, performing for lots of the, the world to look at you and see you, right? But there's, a, there's something about that um, where it is a safe place in a way. It's like you're, you take on a character or you take on a personality or you, you can kind of like get so many people that you're able to tune out. Let it, but, but when you put them one-on-one, -on -one, you know, they or, you know, or in a small group setting, it can be quite awkward. You know, and I, you know. What gets, like, Kefo, if you don't mind me asking, what gives you butterflies? Like, what gets you nervous at this stage in your career? What do you um, go, you know, that feeling that you, you know, what, is there anything in your career still or your world that gives you that? You know, the funny thing is, is that, and I love the fact you've turned this interview on me, but, but anyway, we'll, I will answer your question because you asked it so nicely. But um, it, it is the fact that, um, I, I think it's very important to keep your to have nerves. So I have said to people many times in the past when I've spoken about this is that if you don't have nerves, the moment you stop having nerves is probably the time you should probably stop doing what you're doing because it's called being human. Why on earth would you not have nerves if you get up in front of a lot of people? Why would you not have nerves if you're public speaking? Why would you not have even before podcast? I get nervous, but not in a way that necessarily is bad. I embrace them and I, and I tell people who step in front of my camera too, that if they're nervous about being photographed or being photographed by me or being photographed in general, that's not a problem. And in fact, that's, that emotion itself is something that can be um, sort of taken and used and it is, it's, it's sort of viable, it's an actual thing. The biggest problem you have is when someone steps in front of your camera and is not emotional and doesn't feel and doesn't, they're not there, they're not present because they're either so blase or they've done it a million times that they don't care. They're so sort of overly confident that they're just 
mm, like take it or leave it. There's no sex appeal in that. There's no charm in that. So I always say that to come on and have that little edge of, am I going to do this? Am I going to screw it up? Am I going to, you know, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Am I going to win? Am I going to lose? Am I loud enough? Am I quiet enough? Am I doing it right? Do they love me? Do they hate me? It all kind of is a part of that emotional. And it's like, and when you get that rush of perhaps nerves, I always think to myself, that is, I'm alive. I'm here. I'm present. As a photographer, and I remember doing photo shoots, and I, I, I shoot a lot when I go home with a girlfriend of mine, and um, it's true that, you know, you can sort of stand in front of a camera and models tend to have that kind of, I know, but there's nothing more beautiful than, and that's why a lot of our happy snaps are a lot nicer than a photo shoot, only because those moments where you catch someone, I don't know, just in their realness, the that's the beauty about photography is it'll snatch those moments and you look back at them and go, is that what I look like when I'm really laughing? And everyone will be like, it's beautiful. Like it's, it, it reads that extra bit of yumminess. So you're right. I, I do agree with you having the nerves or having sort of that realness of like, fuck, I don't know what's going to happen. You, you know, a little bit of shakes or something like that. There's some, some magic in it because it's very, very real. I get such bad anxiety that my whole body will shake sometimes. And that will happen, like, even on if I'm on a date, sometimes it can start, I can get really nervous and I'm like, this is who you are. You've kind of got to embrace it. There's something very beautiful about it. Do you know what I mean? There's something very real and you can connect to people that have that may look messy or awkward but there's something really really beautiful about it i i 100 agree i mean that is the key to staying real and authentic and and believable is to be in touch with yourself and and to to let it go and to be okay with the fact that you, you know you might be nervous here you might be confident there you might you know these are all just real emotions and you know, the, the, the moment that's over you know it's over right but look you you mentioned um going on a date and i i know that your sort of true love is a a french bulldog no you have a a very cute little bulldog that you and i've seen that you've done a lot of little things in the sort of help dogs and to help support dogs and animals what what's the name of your french bulldog would you like to see him he's been patiently sitting down here by me the entire time oh my god look what's yoda. yoda hey wait yoda he's yoda. Yoda. And yoda. Huge, um he's a bit fed up with me hi babe he is a, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. He is my little buddy that has um, been with me now for nine years. Um, he's just my buddy. Like he goes everywhere with me. He's not on a lead. He's been trained. He's literally like a human. And everyone that knows, that's close in my life knows that everywhere I go, if the restaurant lets them in, he's with me. He just, he is my, my little miniature lifeline. I, I haven't got children and I'm not married and sort of, I live a very um, gypsy kind of life. So I had to, I, I, you know, I wanted to build something, have a little comfort. So he's my buddy. He can pretty much go everywhere except overseas with me. So this is my, it's my family. <laughs> Yoda, what a great name too. And by the way, I love it. You say he's, he's trained. He doesn't need to be on a leash. Yoda is nine years old and is a French bulldog sitting on a chair. He can't exactly go anywhere because he's too small to leap off without hurting himself, for God's sake. Yoda, you're, I love you. Look at him. He's very elegant and he's looking in the opposite direction saying, I'm not talking to you. He is a absolute snob. He'd be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he's just, I, I, this dog, you understand, in my, my little world, he's a very famous little dog. Like, he just goes everywhere. He knows all, from the from the cleaners to the restaurants we go to, he knows the way in to where I get coffee every morning. I mean, he's, 
I'm a huge, huge, huge animal lover. I just, and I've got more into that since I've been in LA, definitely, and sort of more into the animal stuff. But yeah. I'm a big animal lover myself. I've got rescues and cats and rescue cats and rescue dogs. We even have a, a four foot iguana. And oh, I, I don't I know this. That you, you, did you put the iguana on the Instagram? I haven't uh, seen that. Oh, yeah. So the, his name is Rocky and he makes an appearance at least sort of a oh. couple of times. A, yeah, not that often, but two or three times a year, Rocky makes a rather major appearance. And oh. he's actually had his own photo shoot in a studio before, too. So he's he's quite the star. I love it. Yeah. So the animals are sort of, you know, with this kind of lifestyle, it's hard to, as, as I'm sure you know, to sort of maintain it, especially for me, I'm constantly on the road. So he's he's awesome. He jumps everywhere with me. You mentioned that you um, can't, can't take him abroad. You recently went back to Australia, correct? I did, yeah, which is the first time in two years. Um, this COVID thing, fuck, it's kind of screwed with everybody in different ways and different levels. I I go home two or three times a year. I'm very close with my family. Um, I'm on Skype to my mum every day. I said Skype, which is so 1990, but, you know, FaceTime. And, you know, I just I, I love my family and to not see them for two years and then to, without getting too heavy, to lose my father um, in Australia. It wasn't COVID. He uh, had other problems. Um, but to not be able to get home and get into the country and say goodbye to him, it was all done on FaceTime. I mean, it's just been brutal. So this trip was a really important trip to go home and sort of, you know, yeah, sort of see people in my family I hadn't seen for two years. So Australia's a little bit behind with the COVID stuff. They're only just let people out. They'd only just open the borders and it's kind of a bit of a shit show over there. They've kind of got that. Remember in our first six months of COVID, it was like, we were all panicking and freaking out they're still sort of doing that now do you know what I mean because they've let everybody out so it's it's the Aussie vibe I didn't I didn't feel it as much this time it was it's a lot of um, paranoid a lot of uh, understandably but you know there's a lot of tension with this COVID it's sort of it was a weird trip home to be honest with you it was great to see everyone but it was it was a tough one yeah I mean there's no doubt I mean in many respects Australia seemed to be a perfect example of how to do things right in COVID for a while there. And then it seems to have gone all downhill recently. And obviously with the 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 tennis player not being allowed in and, and what have you, that seemed to be really, you know, poorly handled on many way on many fronts and um yeah. almost a bit embarrassing for Australia if not for him. They've made some decisions down there that is sort of backfiring on them. And look I don't think we're in a society that anyone's been prepared for a pandemic. I don't think anyone really, everyone was doing as best as they thought they knew in their country, their state, their territory, wherever they were. People have been handling it as best as they know how. But Australia have made some very interesting decisions and the world is kind of laughing at a lot of the stuff they're doing down there. And when you're down there in the country with people, the first four days I was home, the government calls you like every day to make sure that you're isolating for the first four days. And I, one morning I had four phone calls and I was like, you guys have already called me. Oh, we have. I mean, it's, it's a shit show. Like it's, it really is. And, and I spent Christmas morning in a line getting my COVID test because I flew out the day after Christmas for three and a half hours to get my COVID test on Christmas morning. I mean, again, it's a very hard thing to manage, but they, um, yeah, the last six months in Australia has been a bit of a mess. Been a bit um, of a mess. I asked you about your Australia trip. Too <laughs> back in LA, but no, it was it, it was just it wasn't it just didn't have that vibe that it yeah. always. Travelling is tough these days. There's no doubt about it. We've got to get over it, and hopefully that's that's something we're moving away. Look, 
Nikki, it's such a pleasure to have you on the Shaken and Stirred show. We're at that point now. I can't believe it's almost been an hour as we've whizzed through this. It's just gone flashed by and I, it's like speed dating with Nikki Whelan. I love this. Um, but I've got to, I want to wrap it up with something we call last orders on the Shaken and Stirred show, which is you know a few simple questions to get to know you just a little bit better and to have a little bit of a laugh. But the first question I have for you here is if you could have a, a, a cocktail with any character from any movie, who would it be and what would the movie be? I this is so cheesy, but remember the movie Cocktail with Tom Cruise and he was the bar. I love Tom Cruise. I want to be sitting at his bar having a drink with him in that movie. Is that cheesy? It's scary, but but um because you know <laughs> that sounds like a Mission Impossible for me. But I, I hey, I'm old. I'm down. I'm down. I'll take it. That's your decision. <laughs> I thought Jeez, I was your type of guy, and now I realise it's Tom Cruise, and I haven't got a bloody chance. Tom Cruise, though, it's perfect. Tom Cruise is only like five foot two, so he's perfect for you. You put some heels on, and it'll be great true. for you. This is not true, Nigel. This was a long time ago. I love this movie, but when you say that, the first thing that comes to my mind is that. So, the next question. <laughs> They're moving swiftly on. In the movie of your life, who would you like to have play you? Can I break the rules really quickly here and get three actresses to play me? Of course. Okay, this is super, super um, self-indulgent, but I was thinking about this. So here's the thing. There are three Australian actresses, Kate Blanchett, Naomi Watts, and Rose Byrne. I fucking love all three of them. I'm obsessed with all of them. Me and too. I feel like I'm so ugh, that I feel like I need all three of their skills to cover my life story. So... Um, if that's possible, I would ask all three of them to play chunks or chapters of my life. I, I, the, all three of them are so different and so oh, they just cover everything. And I just feel like I, I would need that for my messy life. <laughs> I love the fact that you, this movie of you're making now just became a sort of blockbuster. And, you know, we're going to have to sort of triple the budget because basically there's the three of the biggest names in the business. But, hey, I like it. I'm down. I, I, we can afford that. We're going to go for it. We're going to make this movie. Uh, it sounds fant fantastic. But on to the next question. It's one of my favorites. Fantasy dinner. If you are able to invite three guests, anyone you want, alive, dead or alive, can't be me. And but anyone else, because I know you clearly you'd want to have me at that table. Uh, anyone other than me, uh, you just imagine I'm already there. Um, and Tom Cruise would be sitting on my lap. Okay, my three favorite people at dinner. Okay, bear with me. It's a, the first one's a little standard. I need Jesus Christ there for a whole bunch of reasons. I got lots of questions. I, I just please be quiet. They're interrupting us. Yeah, I, I love it. You've got an audience now of birds. I think that that might actually be Tom Cruise. It's a, it's a, actually a group of black crows. Do you know what a, uh, a group of black crows are called? Um, yes, I do. I used to know. What is it called again? Murder. A murder. That's right. Again, I said Tom Cruise. It's terrifying. Something <laughs> happening back there. I've just flown off. Okay. Jesus Christ is my first one. So many questions. So many questions. Um, second, uh, really randomly, don't know a great deal about her, but... Um, I read something recently. I'm like, fuck, I need to ask her so many questions. Cleopatra, I know it's really left of centre. Let's not go into it. And the other one is I need someone sexy that's really intelligent and a little bit of a devil because we've got Jesus at the table. So I'm going to say Alan Watts. 
I feel like he's got some, um, I feel like he would be the one to ask the key questions and he's a little bit sexy and devilish and he was sort of, he him interacting with Jesus Christ and then me and Cleopatra there. I just feel like there's a situation here. There is definitely a situation. I, it, 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 <laughs> that is probably the most unusual group of people I've ever heard for that question ever. No <laughs> one's ever gone that far. I don't think we've actually ever had Jesus Christ, funnily enough, ever named before. Oh, I thought he would have been like a like a regular choice. No, no, no one's ever said Jesus Christ. So there you go. There's a first. I, you know, I, I'm not sure that his his last name is in fact Christ. I think that he's just Jesus, who is the Christ, right? But so we'll have to look him up differently. But we'll get hold of him. Um, I'll put my hotline to the Pope, and we'll see if he can just you know organize that. It's great. Oh, yeah. um, no, one more. What is your go-to drinking song? And someone like Aussies I always have great drinking songs. I've got to imagine you've got a pretty good one. Um, remember, run to paradise. Run to paradise. Please don't make me sing. Oh my I was going to say, you got to sing it. Come on. Absolutely not. It's an Aussie song. Um, yeah. I don't remember it. You're going to have to sing it. No, you only ever did it just for fun. You run to paradise. I mean, it's such an Aussie drinking song. Just Google it, run to paradise. I can't remember the name of the band. Oh my goodness. But this is one of those ones where, you know, when you're like, let's go back to the 90s when you're all in it. Oh, wait, wait. The choir boys. The choir boys. Perfect, gotcha. You're still you're still looking at me like, yeah, I don't know, but no, that's I have okay. No idea, um, but I'm going to play it. It's going to appear on our playlist. It's got that cheesy big chorus, and everybody gets into it when they're drunk. I mean, it's a whole situation. So there you go. That's mine. Run to paradise. Final question, Nikki Whelan, shaken yes. or stirred? Well, shaken, of course. D'accord. Why, of course? Because as we've been discussing this whole time, there's nothing more beautiful than something that's really been shaken up, right? And then once the dust settles, you know, I'm shaken, girl. You are yep. shaken. <laughs> shaken and clearly not stirred. Nikki Whelan, uh, new movie, Hounds of War. When's that coming out? So we're yet to film that. It got pushed because of COVID. Um, it shoots in Malta and our fingers crossed that we will get into that very, very soon. Fantastic. Amazing. Uh, listen, congratulations on everything. Good luck uh, in the year ahead. It's such a pleasure to talk to you now. I look forward to talking to you again soon and having a drink with you in person. So next time you come to New York, look me up and maybe we can do this in, in you know, face to face. Yes, please, Nigel. Thank you so much for having me, love. Thank you. My, my pleasure. Everybody, this is Shaken and Stirred. We'll see you next week with a cocktail and a great conversation. Thanks so much. Cheers, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. This podcast was produced and edited by Embassy Road.